Bible say that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan? And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out of the world. Was in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. And after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. This is the word of God for the people. So over the next few weeks in this season of Lent, I want to invite us to think about how the love of God, how being the objects of God's love, helps us overcome that which Jesus overcame. How overcoming is part of what the Lent season is meant to help us to do. And today, more specifically, how do we overcome temptation? What is temptation? And what we see today is the very first thing Jesus faces after his baptism, after hearing that he is the beloved child of God, is temptation. Now we know from the other gospel story of Jesus' temptation and wilderness that Jesus was tempted to find an easier route, a less, less painful, a less difficult route to enter into his kingdom, into his kingship, as you might say. But Mark is not interested in telling us the specifics of his temptation. Mark just wants us to know that Jesus went out to face temptation. He's alone there, no food, living among wild animals. There was Satan the whole time tempting him. It sounds familiar if you've been with us for the last week. We've gone together again. Jesus departs, goes out into a quiet place, a deserted place, a wilderness by himself. But again, we find that when Jesus made his way to these places by himself, of his own accord, he was always present with God. He was never alone. Living in elements, maybe a sleeping man, clothed on his back. He put his thoughts, he put his hunger, and he is with the patient, personified in the person of Satan. Temptations. Avoid the 
This story, as Mark tells us, is well, it's almost like a spiritual clash, good and evil, heaven and earth coming together. Think about the words, it's almost apocalyptic the way he talks about it. The heavens are torn apart, the heavens come pouring in like a dove floating down from the sky. The spirits drive Jesus out into the wilderness. And in the end, and during this, Jesus is weary and he's tired. And heavenly hosts come to his aid. Indeed, heaven and earth have come to a culminating moment. And we're told that now is the time. Repent, believe in the good news. Here comes God's kingdom. It is announced. John is caught up in this splash of he has been arrested for proclaiming this good news. This is not yet a cosmic thing. At this point, this feels more like a personal skirmish. This is Jesus facing his temptations. It happens out of the sight of anyone else. It takes place in this deserted location. And what we have is less of a culminating. It's not the end of something. It's more of a foreshadowing what's on the way. Temptations will not be gone. Jesus will face these very temptations and those like Peter will ask him to pull away from the hard part of this journey. It wouldn't have to be that way, does it? No, the force of the temptation are not alone. At this beginning, it may show how things will begin to temptation what is accomplished here? The question today. What we do see is Jesus has a willingness to recognize, to face, and to ultimately overcome. And for you and me, I hope and I believe it offers us in this season in Lent a moment to pause and to reflect. But that magnifying glass might be a great benefit. Be aware. Look at our temptations for what they are. Name them. It offers us in these 40 days of time set apart to look deeper within our own self, our own temptations that work to misguide us. And the truth is, I truly believe that like Jesus, unless we learn to name our temptations, they will make Now, our temptation would rather we not have a season in Lent. Our temptation would rather we not pay attention to them. Temptation likes to linger just out of sight. Temptation doesn't like us to talk much about it. It, it wants to stay hidden behind the scenes, but close enough to whisper into our ears words of doubt and misleading directions. Temptation likes for us in the face of tragedy or injustice or human suffering to well, to hear things like, well, don't get involved in that. Stay in your throat. Be indifferent. That's not your problem. Why should you feel bad for what someone else did? You didn't cause this. Hear that voice these days. In the face of our own sins, our own failures, our own brokenness, the patient likes us to remember that we're, well, likes us to feel a little guilt every so often, if not all the time. 
Hessian likes to work through these subtle properties, much like C.S. Lewis wrote many years ago in the book The Screwtape Letters. There he writes, it's funny how the world always picture us, us being in the dominions of temptation, as putting things into their face to face. 
comes from referring to your pastors, your counselors, your recovery groups, your doctors. That's where help comes from. Help comes from prayer, fasting, attending worship, meditating on God's word on a regular basis. And the church is that very place of help. It's why we are here to help us overcome, to support each other in that wilderness, and to encourage us to go. And part of the grace today is we can be assured that during these 40 days throughout our lives, we always have the high ground that God wants us to. So, we can also ask one another, what temptations are you facing? But we must also ask beyond that question, how can you be changed by facing it? How can you be made different if you do? Reflected this week on the words of Gerard Ford, the Anglican theologian. He once offered that we must be careful as a church not to see ourselves only as victims to sin and temptation. What's he mean by that? He points out that those of us in the church, we have a really good grasp of victims. I think he's right. We sometimes, though, fall short of knowing what to do with this and teaching what to do. He says does a good job of placing blame on us as sinners. But if we're not careful, we become victims of our own guilt. The result in reality is we can say things like, well, that's okay, okay, I still love you as you are. And that's true. But it's only part of the story. If we face the truth of our sins, the truth of our temptations, we almost we also must learn that we can we did not have to be victims to guilt. We can let guilt go. We can live gently. We can let many others feel guilty for their sins go as well because we can see what they did to come. It's true for us individually, it's true for us as a church, it's true for our world. The founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, instituted what was called the Mourner's Bench in his churches. I've heard the Mourner's Bench. You may have heard this by being called the mercy seat of the anxious bench. In other words, what it was was a bench that set up from the chancel in the early Methodist churches. And people could come and kneel and pray at the bench. It was a place where folks, backsliders, could come and share with God a temptation that got confessed to them. They could pray with their pastor, pray with one another, and rise and go. Power to overcome and be sanctified. And today we attribute this to communion or recognize it as the communion of baptism and prayer. All part of sanctification as well. Well, I shared this with Paul many years ago. One of our early pastors was telling me about his very first church. And that church still had a mortar bench. And so his first Sunday there, folks would come to the mortar bench as they always did. Over time, he began to notice. He began to hear the same struggles from the same people, week in, week out. Nothing changed. So he began to wonder, he began to teach and encourage them to consider that maybe it's time to come to the bench and leave it there. Maybe it's time to be different now. Let's not get caught up in what was wrong, right? You can keep doing those things, but maybe it's time to live fresh and live anew. 
all on one's birth. Rebirth of the soul is perpetual. Only rebirth every hour can stay in the hands of Satan. During these 40 days in life, is there something that you are ready to leave behind? And if you are, this is the time to face it. This is the time to name it. This is the time to, to write it down. This is the time to claim it as yours, take responsibility for that thing, and to ask God to help you overcome. And when you do, you will. At the end of the day, angels will come. Praise be to God. 